Thanks, guys. <clears throat> All right. How y'all doing? Good. Good, good. So this morning, I, I do want to talk to the men in the room, but I don't want to... I don't want to leave out the women, all right? This is for all of us. Um, we are, our, our passage actually that we're, that we're using today says, uh, speaks to the man of God. And I do want the men in the room to hear this as, as a word for you today. But women, uh, it's, it's for you too, all right? Can we, can we? Can we lean in and listen and receive? Ready to go? All right. I got, I got about four people, so I can work with four. So I, I want to talk to us today about pursuing the very things that we were made for, the very things that we were made to pursue. A, a real relationship, a real living relationship with the real living God. That, that deserved an amen. That we were made for that. God made you. He loves you. He came to rescue you. He has a purpose for your life. And He made you to pursue Him. He made you to pursue that relationship with him, he made you to pursue the purpose that he has for you. God spoke a purpose over you, I believe, uh, before you were even conceived. He dreamed you in his heart and he spoke a purpose over you, and he wants you to live out that purpose. And you know, we in in our in our in this life, we pursue all kinds of things. We pursue our dreams. We pursue a life partner. How many are still chasing? Don't put your hand up. We pursue a life partner, right? We pursue a career. We pursue our goals. We pursue pleasure. Pursue Oftentimes, money and possessions. We talk about the pursuit of happiness. In the United States Declaration of Independence, right? They, they wanted everybody to be sure that they had the right to pursue happiness, whether that's a good thing or not. We pursue meaning and purpose. I think... I think most of what we do as humans, most of the things that we do that are, that are good and most of the things that get us in trouble are things that we are doing to somehow pursue meaning and purpose. Sometimes we look for it in all the wrong places. But we have, we have these things that we pursue in our lives. The English poet... 19th century English poet William Blake said, We become what we behold. We become what we behold. What captivates 
our imagination and holds our attention is what we will run after and what will shape our lives. We become what we behold. So what is that for you? Is it God and His kingdom? Or is it some lesser pursuit? I mean, Jesus said that rather than chase after the things we want or even the things we need, that if we choose to seek first, to pursue the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that we would not only attain those, but God would look after all the other stuff for us as well. Our passage today is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you've got Bibles or Bible apps and want to follow there, I've got it up on the screen today. So, uh, but let's follow along. Starting in verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. seems, folks, that all too often we humans flee the things we ought to be pursuing and pursue the things we ought to be fleeing. And when we turn those things upside down, when we get them wrong, when we get them backwards, it is destructive to our lives to flee the things that God wants for us and has for us. And it is destructive to our lives to pursue the things that God has told us and warned us to stay away from. So this morning, what are you running from? What are you running from? Oftentimes we run from responsibility. You run from responsibility. A lot of talk these days about adulting. We've turned it into a, a verb. Adulting. And we don't want to adult don't want to adult today. 
Right? Don't, want to, don't want to take responsibility for my life today. I know we all might think that would be nice to just put a pause on adulting and someone else take care of everything for us. The whole point of growing up, the whole point of, be, of growing to maturity is that we take responsibility for our lives, right? The government doesn't owe you anything. The people in your life do not owe you anything. It's not up to anyone else. It's up to us to grow up and take responsibility for our lives. And yes, yeah, sometimes we need help. We need to take the responsibility to seek out the help that we need, right? It's, it's our life. And so it's our job to pay the bills, look after our people, to do the things we don't want to do because there are people counting on us. We, we sometimes run from commitment. In relationships, in the body of Christ, Sometimes the hardest thing to make a schedule for a ministry in the church because people are like, well, I don't want to commit. I'll, I'll help out once in a while, but I don't want to commit, right? But we, we run from commitment. We run from, we run from God. Psalm 139 Is a, is a passage, David, David goes on about, where can I go from your presence? Right? If I, if I go down to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I climb to the highest mountain, you are there. If I cross the sea, you are there. You know, no matter where I go. Why is it that we relate so well to David's psalm and and we want to get away from God's presence so badly sometimes. Right? Why is it that we can relate to what, what David is saying? God, I, I, no matter where I go, I can't get away from you. Why is it that we often want to flee from God's presence? We want to run sometimes from the call of God what He's called us to do, who He's called us to be. Why is it that we so often can relate to Jonah? Right? God has called us to, to step out and do something in our lives and, and we just want to go to Tarshish. We want to run the other way. God, get me out of here. Right? Right? But Paul says here, but you, man of God, flee from all these things. Flee from the right things. What things is he talking about? Well, Paul actually four times in his letters talks about fleeing from some things. The first of those is in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. He says, Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality, it says in verse 18. 
all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He tells us to flee from sexual immorality. He's saying there's something different about sexual sin. I've often heard people say, well, sin is sin. There's no Bible verse that says that, but I get that quoted to me oftentimes. Well, sin is sin. It's just all the same. Well, it all gets us in trouble. And it all has um, destructive implications on our lives. But, um, and I'm not sure that God necessarily, that, that, that it says that sexual sin is different because God gets more mad at that. I don't think that's what the Bible is telling us, but he says it's, just, it's more destructive to us. Listen to what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. They bring more destruction upon themselves. Right? So Paul's not saying flee sexual sin, wagging his finger at you, saying that's the worst. You should, but he's saying, please don't do that, because you'll bring on yourself more destruction than you know. Flee sexual sin. The second one he says is First Corinthians ten verse fourteen. Therefore, my dear friends. Flee from idolatry. Now, probably not too many of us has, you know, a Buddha in our living room that we bow down to or, or some other statue that we bow down to. Idolatry was, was more recognizable when Paul wrote this than it is today. But the reality is idolatry is, is trusting in something other than God worshiping and giving our obedience and giving our attention and our lives to something other than God, right? Flee that. And then in our passage, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10, he says, flee all these things after he's just talked about how the pursuit of wealth and the love of money is so destructive to our lives. And hasn't our culture lifted that up as the ultimate, right? The ultimate pursuit. To have everything you want and then some. Make that the pursuit of our lives. Paul says, many who have loved money and pursued wealth have shipwrecked and destroyed their lives and ended up losing out with God altogether, right? And then in 2 Timothy 3.22, he says, flee the evil desires or the, um, the evil lusts of youth, youthful lusts. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord 
out of a pure heart. So the question this morning, when we talk about fleeing, the question is, what are the things that war against your soul? What are the things that war against God's very best plan for your life? What are the things that war against your victory living in Jesus? What are the schemes and plans and traps that the enemy has set for you to distract you and deceive you and destroy you? Those are the things we need to flee from. Paul is not looking to set up some legalistic list of things that Timothy has to follow. He's not trying to kill Timothy's fun or marsh his mellow, harsh his mellow. Not trying to make his life a killjoy, but but Paul wants the very th- think of it not as Paul wagging his finger at Timothy as a judge saying you should flee from these things. But think of it as Paul the coach calling out to Timothy on the field, wanting him to succeed, wanting him to do his best, and wanting him to run all the way to the end zone and win. Come on, Timothy, you can do it. Run around that one, Timothy. No, I'm not there. Go this direction. Duck, Timothy. Jump, Timothy. Run. Push through, Timothy. Now you got it. Go all the way, Timothy. Right to the end. Right? He's cheering on Timothy from the sidelines, wanting him to succeed, wanting him to get there. And that's what, how we need to hear these words from Paul this morning, speaking to us, men and women of God. He deeply, Paul deeply cares about this young man that he has mentored. He's poured thousands of hours into his walk with God and maturing him in his call. And the last thing he wants is for some minor trick of the devil to take him off course and his kingdom potential to be squashed and destroyed in his life. Because Timothy entertained the very things he should have fled from. And he stayed in situations he should have run from. Rather than than see how close we can get to the edge, why not see how far we can run from the traps of the enemy? Right? Remember when I was a youth pastor... One of the questions, when we had Q&A times, one of the questions that came up almost every time, Pastor, how far is too far? Right? Talking about messing around sexually or, or you know, making out with their girlfriend or boyfriend. How far is too far? I, I want to go right to the edge. Right? Rather than getting a, a vision of your life for purity and the purpose of God and doing things the way God intended, how far, how close can I go, right? It's not just a teenage thing, folks. 
It's a human thing. How close can I get? So what are you running from? What prize are you pursuing? See, what what makes the difference of whether we will flee the things we ought to flee is whether we have in view the things that we ought to be pursuing. Leadership coach Stephen Covey says, says says it well. He says, you have to decide what your highest priorities are, right? So for us, that's Jesus and his purpose and plan for our lives, right? You have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage, pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically, to say no to other things. And the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside of you. We know what our life is needs to be about, what we want our life to be makes it a lot easier to say no to a whole bunch of other things, good things, that are getting in the way of the best things. I think we see some examples of this in the lives of some of the uh, the patriarchs, Abraham. Abraham turned from ease and comfort in the in Ur of the Chaldeans, where he grew up. He turned from ease and comfort in Ur of the Chaldeans, and followed God's leading into uncertainty and hardship. Because God gave him a vision of his life that wasn't just about comfortable retirement, but a vision that spanned millennia and involved a nation-building legacy. God gave Abraham something to dream about for his life that caused him to get up out of his comfortable chair in Ur of the Chaldeans and travel 4,000 kilometers across the desert to go somewhere he didn't even know where it was and follow God, right? He didn't do that just because he didn't like stuff around him and where he was, but he did it because he had a vision for his life of greater yes. His grandson, Esau, one day he comes in, from farming, or from, sorry, hunting, and he's famished. He's hungry. He didn't catch anything, I guess. Some of us, some hunters in the room might know what that's like. I don't know. Um, he didn't catch anything. Some fishermen in the room know what that's like. Yes. <laughs> didn't catch anything. Came home. He was famished. He was hungry. And he traded his birthright, the call of God on his life, for a bowl of chili. The Bible says it was red stew, but here we call it chili, right? 
He traded the purpose of God on his life for a bowl of chili. When our, when our desires are so strong that we allow them to take over our will, we can make some really foolish decisions. Ministries and destinies have been lost and families destroyed in a moment's foolish choice. Jacob, his twin brother on the other hand, is shown in the scriptures as as the opposite when he wrestles with God and he won't let go until God blesses him. He's so His desire to have the purpose of God fulfilled in his life and through his family was his highest priority. And he he pursued it and he grabbed hold of God and would not let go until God blessed him. And his name ended up being changed and the name of the nation that descended from him was forever named Israel, means wrestles with God, contends with God, won't let go of God. Joseph is also an example of getting, getting right what he is fleeing and what he is pursuing. You know, if you know the story of Joseph, he found himself in a very difficult situation where he was working as a slave in a household with a woman who was lustful and wanted wanted Joseph and kept, it says in the scripture in, in, in Genesis 39, that she kept asking him to come to bed with her. Here's Joseph with this this very challenging for any young man, very challenging situation. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her. Here's why Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Um, My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. God had given Joseph a dream, a calling. And in spite of the challenges that he faced all along the way, that dream was still so strong in him that it shaped his choices and it shaped his priorities. And he said aloud, No, because he had a much bigger yes in the dream that God had given him for his life. And so in the moment when the temptation got so strong, he literally just ran out of the house. Left his clothes behind and everything. 
but he got out of there. But you, man of God, Paul says, flee all these things and pursue righteousness. Righteousness. Having a vision for our lives, men and women. Having a vision for our lives of personally living a life congruent, in sync with the call that God has put on my life. Integrity. Living a life equal to the calling that God has put on my life. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Wanting my life to please God. and Wanting my life to reflect Him well in the world where I live. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursuing the reality of trusting God no matter what the culture tells me, no matter what my circumstances tell me, but letting His voice and His truth and His word be louder than all the rest of those voices. Pursuing faith. Pursuing Pursue love. Not wimpy, mushy, marshmallow love. But love that sacrifices. Love that takes responsibility. Love that fights for others. Love that puts others first. Jesus, scriptures tell us, demonstrates his love for God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the definition of love. And the cross was no mamby-pamby, mushy-gushy love. It was, it was tough. It was hard. It was difficult. It was sacrifice. It was giving all for someone else. Love is not Wimpy. Men don't shy away from the word love. Because it is the toughest, manliest thing you can do to love well. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Grit to make it to the end. This life that we are called to is not a sprint. It's not a journey of convenience. But we need to pursue the strength to overcome when life and the world and the powers of hell throw everything at you that they can, and they will. And as Paul says elsewhere, after having done everything, just keep standing. Endurance. Pursue gentleness again doesn't sound very manly but gentleness is not weakness it is strength that has the strength to hold back strength that has the strength to hold back 
It is the ability to treat another with grace and kindness when you could do them harm. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53, as the temple guard arrives in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him, and his disciples lash out to protect him, Jesus stops them and he says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? A legion was about 5,000 soldiers. So that's, if you're doing the math, that's 60,000 angels. Not that I think Jesus meant exactly 60,000. He just meant a whole lot of angels. The armies of heaven. Do you not think I could have called and the armies of heaven would have been sent to rescue me? But Jesus allowed puny humans to arrest him and march him off to his doom because it was necessary for our salvation. And we lose it when somebody takes the parking space that we wanted. I had my signal on and everything, right? These character traits are the traits of someone who wants their whole life to count for the kingdom of God and is willing to prioritize everything to go after what God wants for them. And as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, he says, Not that I have already attained, obtained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He goes on, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Flee those other things and I run towards all that God has for me. And then Paul says, at the end of our passage, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. It is a fight, isn't it, folks? It's a fight. This pursuit is not easy. It takes courage and grit, and focus, and determination. It takes saying no to things that our flesh would rather say yes to. It takes being willing to walk the inconvenient path, the unpopular path, the path that, yes, some days is less fun and hard work, right? It takes turning off the television sometimes when we'd rather keep watching. It takes standing up against injustice when we'd rather be silent. It takes guarding our hearts and sometimes repenting when we would rather be right. It's a fight. I want us to watch this video. 
as we end off this morning. It's called I Will Fight. I think we've watched it once before here a few years ago. But it's encouraging and it's challenging. I want you to take it in today. All right? Oh, and we're going to make sure the audio is hooked up. Okay, try it. Give me the thumbs up when you're ready. Maybe. Nope. Just plug it in where where the the other computer is plugged in, maybe. All right, talk amongst yourselves. Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. So today, I will give no place to fear or failure. I will not accept a trace of apathy in my attitude or actions. I will reject complacency and embrace the greatness that God has planted inside of me. I will waste no opportunity to glorify God and maximize everything he has entrusted to me. I will fight. My battle is not against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual enemy who opposes me. So I will draw the battle lines and face my enemy with a bold determination. My enemy fights against me because he fears me. Every time I resist him, he must flee. And every time he reminds me of my past, I will remind him of his future. I will make no excuses, but through every obstacle, I will find a way. 
I will not procrastinate my progress. I will not defer my destiny. I will not waver when I'm weak. I will not cower when my circumstances take a turn for the worse. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will fight. Even if I lose the battle, I will win the war because I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I will reject the lies that echo in my mind, telling me that I don't have what it takes, that my best is behind me, or that humiliation awaits me. The devil is a liar, and my God always causes me to triumph. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I will fight. I'm unashamed to represent a kingdom that is unshakable. No one will be able to stand against God's plan for me all the days of my life. With my God, I will advance against every troop. With his help, I will scale every wall. Though my enemies surround me, my God surrounds my enemies. Though they may come at me one way, they will flee seven ways. Because no weapon formed against me will prosper. And every evil thing that rises against me, I will condemn, I will fight. My heart is steadfast. My purpose is immovable. I am always abounding in the work of the Lord. And my potential is unlimited because the limitless God lives within me. I will fight. The cross is before me. The world is behind me. I'll never turn back. I'll never give up. I'll never settle. I'll never stop short. I will press toward the mark for the prize that is already mine. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate me from my God. And if my God is for me, who can be against me? I will fight, fight. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand this morning. Worship team's going to come, and, uh, and I would like every, every man in the room, every male over 18, to make your way up here. Come on up. We're not going to do anything weird, but we want to, I just want to pray for you, pray a blessing over you, and then we've got a gift for you. So guys, come on right up, right up to the, right up here. Yeah. All across the room. Look out there, show your beautiful faces. Your handsome faces, I should say. <laughs> All right. Guys, I want you to hear me this morning. God has a plan and a purpose for you to walk in his kingdom with strength and honor and dignity and authority to walk in in the fullness of his plan and purpose for your life. 
Some of us in this room, men and women, some of us, um, we allow the enemy to convince us and intimidate us because of stuff that we've done, stuff that's been done to us, stuff that we've experienced in life. We let the enemy lie to us, put shame on us, and tell us that we are not worthy of the love of God. We are not worthy of being one called by God. We are not worthy. Some of you look around the people in this room and the other men across this this uh, this altar area, and and you you compare yourself to others and you say, "How could I be worthy?" And I want you to know right now that Jesus Jesus makes you worthy. Period. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you have or have not done. It's about your trust in Jesus and what He has done for you. And there is a call, not just on some of you, but on all of you to walk in the fullness of God's plan and purpose for your life. And it will be difficult. And it will be challenging. And you will face obstacles. And the enemy will come against you. And you will trip and you will fall on your face. And you'll get up and you'll keep going. Because it's not you and it's not your strength, but it's Jesus in you that is more than enough to fulfill the calling of God on your life. He delights in you, men. Please hear me. Some of you Never heard your earthly father tell you, son, I'm proud of you. But I want you to hear that the, your heavenly father loves you, delights in you, and is proud of you. And he has so much in store for you today. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak over every one of these men. I thank you for them. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for their faith. I thank you, God, that none of us has it all together, and yet all of us has access to your love and your mercy and your strength and your hope and your peace. I thank you, Father, that you speak over these men today. Your love. Your invitation to pursue the greater things. Father, today I pray that we would have the courage to recognize the things we ought to flee from, from the things we ought to pursue. And I pray that today our hearts would be good soil to hear you speak to us. 
to hear you running on the sidelines beside us. Saying, not that way, that way. Keep pushing through. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would know your delight on our lives today. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Men, you are loved by your Heavenly Father. You are appreciated by the people in this room. I just want to encourage you today to keep running. Here's a little gift backed by popular demand. Dad's root beer. The tag that's on it is made by some ladies in our church. Big thanks to Joyce and Darlene. Just Joyce. All right, Joyce. And... Uh, it's got the verse from today on it, but uh, maybe hang it, hang it on your tool bench or hang it somewhere in your, your house to remind you to keep running. All right? All right, let's give it up for the men in the room. It's a big cheer. Bless you guys. All right. We just want to... We're, we're done. We're done. We wish you a, a, an awesome Father's Day. Those of you who are dads or those of you who are spending time with your dads today, God bless you. The team is going to just continue to worship. If anyone would like to respond today, you felt like uh, there were some things that you were challenged in to flee from, you just need to let the Holy Spirit minister in your hearts. We welcome you to, to worship along. Otherwise, feel free to head out in the lobby and visit before you head home today. God bless.